Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews for over 20 years. You can read all of my written work there at that website, Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today's film is one that I've had to kind of catch up on. This is not a movie that was really strong on my radar anyway, but it's also the kind of movie that, being in a relationship, it's one that I'm more than happy to see with my girlfriend who had an interest in seeing it. It's called Me Before You. It's a romantic drama. There are some strong comedic elements as well within it. It's a PG-13 rated film for thematic elements and some suggestive material. The runtime is an hour and 50 minutes and the main stars are Amelia Clark and Sam Claflin with supporting roles for Janet McTeer, Stephen Peacock, Charles Dance, Matthew Lewis, Jenna Coleman, and Samantha Spiro. The director is Theo Sherrock, and the screenplay is by Jojo Moyes, who also is adapting her own novel. If I had to sum up Being Before You in about three words, I would say it's sweet but predictable. I do think that it's likely to please those among the target demographic that are predominantly consisting of women who are looking to have a few smiles, a few laughs, and ultimately cry. Many in this target demographic are not likely to mind that most of the emotional beats are strongly manipulated, perhaps even manufactured to tug at their heartstrings in just the right way and at just the right moments. Jojo Moyes here is adapting her own best-selling novel from 2012. Many beyond that will be reminded of the works of such rom-drama, and by rom-drama I mean romantic drama. The regulars like Nicholas Sparks and John Green, at least John Green for the younger set, or any of the rest of the authors currently working today that seek to ascend to the romance genre throne that requires you to hold the book in one hand and a hanky in the other. Me Before You story revolves around two people. One is Will Trainer. He's a rich but emotionally dejected London man who's living the life of pain and solitude as a quadriplegic. And there's also Louisa, also known as Lou in the film. She's a chatty and free-spirited woman who has been hired to take care of Will's basic needs throughout the day, as well as to lift his spirits with her effervescent company. The problem's that the pain that Will is in is not just physical. He misses his old life as an athletic, globe-hopping man of adventure. He lost it all after being struck by a speeding motorcycle so being stuck in a chair, a wheelchair, as an observer to life is particularly torturous to somebody who planned to live his life fully through all kinds of extreme sports and being able to go wherever he wanted, anytime he wanted, with anybody he cared to be with. In short, now Will wants to die, and Lou soon realizes that her employment is basically resting on changing his mind. However, to do that... Lou will have to first melt Will's thick and icy exterior, which proves to be nearly impossible given his distraught mind state and his constant physical agony. Interestingly, I would say as a film, Me Before You gives lip service to the challenges that are faced by Will and his quadriplegia. We get a very glossed over, very freshened up version of his condition, whereby Louisa is mostly free from seeing Will at his most low of moments. The movie does make it a point to suggest that Lou doesn't have to help him in such things as his bathroom functions. This doesn't always explain who actually does these things and when. 
Uh, he does have a physical trainer that appears, but I don't know how much time he has for such things. Lou and Will are alone on their field trip attempts throughout the movie. And so certainly I would figure that she would have to help him in and out of the bathroom and to do whatever was necessary to clean him up. But, uh, you know, I, I guess he just holds it in or something until the right time. I don't know. The movie basically doesn't delve very deeply into the hows and whys of how this quasi relationship works. Lou is seen often trying to get him to get out and to be happy and to enjoy life by leaving his large but mostly empty castle estate that he's confined himself in pretty much intentionally. I think that the most difficult thing that Lou has to do, at least that we see in this film, is to occasionally prop his pillow into a different position whenever Will makes a very discomforted facial expression. The movie also, being as glossy as it is, it glosses over the euthanasia debate because it hardly deals with the moral and ethical implications of that decision at all. Will looks into ending his life at a facility that caters to assisted suicides, and the film mostly treats this event as a thing that those who are depressed, that they're confined in a wheelchair, can consider as a humane alternative. Now, some viewers will find this notion troubling, given that it essentially treats those with difficult disabilities as a burden that might as well not exist so that those who have to care for them are free to live their lives to the full without them. This may also be viewed as especially insensitive given that it's mostly used here in the story as a plot device purely and simply. It's just a countdown to a climax instead of a serious subject that merits more thoughtful consideration than this superficially sudsy romance cares to explore. The same can be said to a lesser extent about issues of fidelity because both Lou and Will have to deal with infidelity in their own ways. These kinds of things are wrestled with without that kind of emotional depth that would normally be warranted from a movie with much more serious things on its mind than following a formula to make audiences respond to calculated beats of whimsy and melancholy. Thea Sherrick, the director, this is her first feature film. She's spent many years working in live theater as a director, and she could have made the film as a stage play, maybe a, mostly a two-hander that's set in a confined space, but she does manage to break out of the more intimate environs of the castle estate to showcase such things as Lou's family, Lou's dealings with her fit and jock-minded boyfriend who seems to be self-centered but cares for her in his own way. And there's a few day trips that are taken for Will to experience the cinema and the horse races and the classical music performance. But yet he's a doer. He's not really a watcher. And these things may actually increase his frustration because he can't be out there doing these things. But the two eventually form a bond from their shared experiences that does offer up to Will the possibility of love and happiness, even if he can't physically perform the way he would like, whether in the relationship or outside of it. And maybe he feels that a future potential partner might deserve more than what he can provide there. Amelia Clark, of course, me, most people will know her from Game of Thrones. She gets to show some pretty good range outside of her turns as her character there on Game of Thrones, as well as playing Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis in the last year. 
this movie showcases her romantic and comedic chops. She facially overexpresses, I I believe anyway, on occasion. And as a character, many critics always refer to the manic pixie dream girl in films like this. Certainly this label will apply here. She's painted as too cute and idealized to be believed. Uh, for instance, she is shown wearing an endless array of colorful clothing, rainbow-colored sweaters and whatnot, which... I think for a woman whose family has been struggling financially for years with the patriarch not able to find a job and neither can she keep a job and they desperately need the money, it seems selfish for her to maintain this kind of wardrobe that would probably require three or four closets to hold in. Eventually, though, her character of Lou emerges as likable, especially in the way that she contrasts to that hunky Sam Claflin character that he's underplaying as Will. He's cold and often checked out from life, and he gets a bit cranky if he has to confront life when provoked to do so. Yeah, Me Before You, I don't think is an unenjoyable movie. I think that there is an audience for this. They'll probably enjoy it, but I think by and large, for most people who are not susceptible to tear jerkers, this is also not a very good example of one as a film, even if it's effective at getting those tears out of you. I do think that audiences who are coming into the movie in order to feel an emotional moment or two, yeah, they'll likely find that the tried and true formula does work as a tear jerker, even though as a story, this is not original, it's not really compelling at all but much of the entertainment value of the film does come from how attracted you might be to such things as quirk and fancy and the makers of the movie want every room every home every external and internal environment to have that clean and immaculate and adorably decorated look they're sanding down every single trace no matter how rough of an edge of this movie to make for the smoothest and most candy coated pill go down easy and it has your tear ducts welling without educing the burden of having to think more deeply about the myriad of heavy emotions these characters would have had to go through if this weren't such a determinedly commercial fantasy product. I'm giving me before you two and a half stars out of four and two and a half stars out of four on my scale means that it does have the tools, the talent here to be a good film and yet it just kind of falls short and I think that the reason why it falls short is that there's just not enough reality into this fantasy to make me feel like a lot of these formula antics actually equate to something that I, that I think that those are, who are not going into it for a specific reason are going to get out of it. If you're coming into this movie, if you're somebody who cannot stand tear jerkers, who, you know, who doesn't like romance films, who don't like, you know, so-called chick flicks for lack of a better term, this is not going to be the movie that turns you around as to the possibility or be one of the rare exceptions that makes you overlook those things this definitely has its audience the audience knows what they're getting they're going to get it and that's it so i can almost recommend it but i i can't i do think some people will come out of it saying it was time well spent but for me there's just not enough truly original material and there are characters here i do not identify with i feel like it's just too manufactured for me to actually give an honest recommendation so two and a half stars goes to me before you hope that you enjoyed the review if you did i do encourage you to click the subscribe button as i continue to deliver all of these reviews downloaded into your podcast player throughout the rest of this year also if you happen to be on itunes or stitcher or any place else that allows you to say a kind word or two if you happen to have been listening for a long time i definitely encourage you to do that because it helps build the audience for this show and the more the audience grows 
the more enthusiasm I have to keep doing this. I'm not getting any money for it. I do it out of my love for the movies and my love of podcasting and to be able to engage with other people who are like-minded. So if you are like-minded about movies, I do encourage you to also write to me. You can go to my website and find my contact information as well as like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and contact me there as well. You can go to quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net for all the details on that. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. 